0: doing witchcraft because i come from a skeptical atheist background the entire concept of being psychic for me it just sounded like a miss scam right
1: right
0: so for me that word was always loaded but the way that you've helped me redefine the word is that we're all psychic and this is literally psychic as in like the thing inside of you as not even just the witch but as a human being that thing inside of you that feels connected to something that you can't describe. And the exercises you have in this book, so you almost learn to trust yourself. It was all about trust, building your trust in your own body, your own intuition.
2: One of the approaches that I took in the book is trying to change how people view psychic ability because that's a roadblock in general. Um, For example, I touch on the term extrasensory perception, which I hate. Um, and I explain why I hate it, uh, because it insinuates that these senses are something extra, something beyond our natural primary senses. And in the book, you know, I, I explain my view is exactly the opposite, um, because depending on what your religious or spiritual beliefs are, there's a universal idea that we're spirits, right? We're spirits having a physical... Uh, existence. So we were spirits before we incarnated. We're spirits after we incarnated. And psychic ability is that um, spirit sense. It's how spirits interact. Like if you've ever worked with spirits or you've ever um, done mediumship or gone to a medium, those psychic senses are how things are communicated and conveyed. So I see when we're born into physical reality, that those senses kind of crystallize into our physical senses. So I believe our psychic senses are our primary, but when we're born, our perspective kind of changes. And then I talk about like children in the book, like why children tend to be more psychic and more magical. How uh, childhood development in society, like uh, I don't wanna use indoctrination, but pretty much indoctrination, essentially kind of kills that and shifts uh, what brainwave states they're primarily working in. Um, but I do believe these things are natural and a lot of people have psychic experiences, but they don't really necessarily identify it as psychic or they just kind of dismiss it because they're told they're taught to dismiss it for that. Like, how do I know if it's psychic ability or if it's my imagination or anything psychic answers meditation, which is why there's a strong emphasis on that because meditation you learn how your mind works, uh, what your symbols are, things of that nature. And you learn to discern when something's coming from you and when something's not coming from you. And that takes a lot of self-inquiry. When it comes to external spirits, I am very much hermetic in my magic. So, you know, like I go back to like Lon Milo Duquette and his whole idea of like, it's all in your head. You just don't know how big your head is. So, I I think that that is something that's a little harder to discern um, when it comes to external spirits. However, I do believe that if you are seeing an external spirit, that's usually probably more legit than, say, uh, getting a psychic impression and being unsure if it's a psychic impression or a projection. I don't necessarily agree that they're always spirits in the way that we think of spirits. Sometimes, There's, for lack of a better word, it can be like a recording of a place. So it's still a psychic phenomenon, but it's not necessarily a conscious entity. It's more like uh, something kind of replaying the motions. And what I have found really interesting in my experience of like investigating and stuff of that nature is that where these things happen tend to be on places that have a lot of limestone in the ground, which is interesting because that's also... What was used in old photography and stuff like that. So like while there's not necessarily a science to it, it's really interesting that there's this kind of recording parallel to it that I've found.
0: Lots of people are really into the paranormal right now and they're trying to bring in science, they're trying to bring in other things into it, but then there's like that really big pushback from skeptics. So I think a lot of young witches especially, they fall into one of those two camps they fall into the, they'll believe everything is a spirit, everything is psychic, everything has to do with magic. The other camp, they're always doubting themselves. They're always doubting their own tui- intuition.
2: So um, I'm very big on being against blind faith. And I don't even like the word faith in general, because I believe that witchcraft is not a practice of faith. I believe it's a practice of experience and knowing. So. The approach that I'm big on with my students, and I'm, I um, kind of approach my book in this way, is, you know, you don't want to believe something until you experience it, but you have to kind of come into it sort of with the assumption that it's true. So it's sort of like this this liminal state of belief and disbelief. So like being open to the experience to see if you can experience it, but not necessarily trying to force it or trying to make up your opinion about it at the time. So the way that I approach my book is I say, you know, I cannot prove that these things are true. You know, I cannot prove to you that these realms of reality are true, that these perceptions are true, that my cosmology that I'm using in the book is true, but just approach it while you're doing it as if it's true and see what you experience. And then at the end, I'm very, you know, I conclude the book by being like, now that, like, you've experienced this. Because my whole point was not to just tell you something and have you believe it. Um, like, I'm very, at the very beginning, I'm, which is why there's 93 exercises, which is, like, go experience this for yourself and know that it's true. So for me, that's always been my approach um, of, like, witches don't believe, they know, they experience. But there has to be that sort of experiment um, playground of, suspending disbelief while you're trying it. So like the skepticism can come before and after, but you kind of have to like put it aside and just sort of assume that it's real.
0: Here's exercise four, focusing with meditation, there's solar breathing, there's diagrams, there's all these different diagrams. I would say most of this is you basically having us, the reader, not just read about it and say that's cool, but like encouraging us to do these exercises.
2: There used to be a stronger emphasis in witchcraft books on psychic development and energy perception, and it's just kind of dwindled more and more over the years. So I wanted to bring that back uh, because that was one of my pitfalls with practicing witchcraft um, at a very early age. You know, sometimes I could get them to work, sometimes I couldn't get them to work, but when I was able to perceive the energy and manipulate it from that angle, my magic took off like that.
0: That's a key thing that I want to discuss a little bit more, this idea that developing the psychic ability, which I think that you've defined or redefined in this book as kind of trusting what you already were born with, mm-hmm. I like, kind of like shake what your mama gave you, but like, right. no, like have faith in that what you're shaking is like really legit. Um that it will actually, if we're talking to just regular like occultists, uh, magicians who are just like, this is all technology, this is all a craft and stuff. Um, This entire idea of psychic development is very new age. And I know a lot of occultists are really against new age anything. So Mm -hmm. they may have something against that. But this idea that if you develop that psychic ability, that your magic becomes even more strong, powerful, efficient. Yes. In what ways did your magic?
2: Before I touch on that, like something that I wanted to, to touch on that you just said. In my opinion, psychic ability and magical ability are the same thing. It's two sides of one coin. So psychic ability is perceiving uh, energy, right? Energetic information. I define magic as the manipulation of that energy. So it's easier to paint if you can see the painting you know, while you're painting it. So for, for me, for example, um, I can tell most of the time if a circle has been cast properly or not, just because I start hearing that tinnitus when it happens. And then it goes away at the end of the ritual. So with my own students, you know, while they're doing it, I can tell if they've actually cast it correctly or if they just kind of were missing something in that process.
0: I love how you're comparing it to it's easier to paint whatever you want to paint if you can actually see the painting being done. So it's not like you're in a dark room. you are in a well-lit studio. You have the paintbrushes. You can see what's going on and how you will actually have a sense when the magic is, it's almost as if the way that you're talking about the psychic ability and the magic is that you are becoming more like a, a more finely tuned radio receiver, and magic is this energy, almost like radio waves, and then you're like, oh, you know, like, then you can kind of sense it that way. Is mm-hmm. that how you see
1: psychic ability?
2: Yeah, so I, um, one of the things that um, I try to touch on in the book, because it's become a major shift in my witchcraft in like the last 10 years, is realizing that psychic ability can be sort of reverse engineered into magic to make it more powerful too so for example um if i were to do a love spell for someone right let's say i'm doing a simple honey jar for a love spell right Um, you know i would do the traditional things like i would you know take like a red a pink or a green depending on how you're corresponding it do the herbs the oils all of that but then before i light it i would focus on symbols that are venetian and love with all of my senses. So I would visualize flowers blooming all over it. I would start hearing music that's romantic. I would start feeling sensations in my body. Like what would it be like to be like held or like depending on if you're trying to get laid, you know, like things of that nature. And I would imbue that into the magic and that makes it so much more powerful Um, because it's, it's literally the same thing. Um, the psychic ability and the magical uh, projection. It's just about which way are you working with that energetic information. So I believe that magic can make you more psychic and psychic ability can make your magic more powerful. It's just a matter of getting more in tune between both of them.
1: Oh, that's exciting because I think a
0: lot of beginner witches, they really think if they just get the right candle color, and if they just get the right like herbs that's it but they're missing a huge chunk of it which is well i guess a lot of which is they call it intention but the way that you're calling it is like the psychic energetic sort of kind of like cheek that you're putting into your mouth yeah.
2: yeah so um while it's not correct um a lot of the early witchcraft teachers and writers defined uh the word witch and Wicca as to bend, to shape, to wield. And that etymology has been kind of debunked, but it, it gets to the heart of what I believe is true. Like there's a point to that, which is that witchery, when you strip down all of it, when you strip down everything just down to magic, it's that manipulation of energy, that wielding, that shaping, that bending of the information. But it's still that energetic information that you receive psychically. So it's the same thing, it's just about like, are you speaking or are you hearing? And both work together um, to have good conversation. Like if I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me, you know what I mean? Or if I couldn't speak, our conversation wouldn't be as good or vice versa. That is a very cool way to
0: frame this. Because now I'm seeing it as if magic and psychic ability are, in a lot of ways, hand in hand, Mm -hmm. and psychic ability is kind of the willingness that you have and the practice um, of trusting your own abilities, your own sense of energy, then now it kind of makes even more sense, the exercises you have, because the exercises they are specific, but they also seem to be kind of open-ended. Like, they're not like, you have to feel this at the end to know that, yes, you did it right. It's more like, for example, let's see. Yeah. Like, there's an encha- entire chapter you have about, I guess, more shadow work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's actually my favorite chapter, because I think shadow work is definitely something that a lot of luchi types, they try to ignore because it doesn't feel super positive or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have a bunch of exercises there you're not telling us like how we need to feel afterwards but these are things that we're trying to do and it's almost like each exercise is helping you just know yourself better like this is what it feels like Mm -hmm. um, for you when you do it this way so that kind of makes me wonder do each of us have different types of psychic abilities and different types of psychic talents
2: so um Yes and no. So both. Um, I believe everyone has every psychic ability. Um, It's just a matter of if you develop it or not. So like, for example, um, uh, some of the clairs are also internal versus external. So um, I am naturally predisposed to being externally clairvoyant. So I naturally can see auras, I can see spirits, I can see things of that nature. The internal clairvoyance like seeing the images in my my mind's eye that aren't just projections has taken a lot of work so um, one of the stories that I I tell because I for many years was a professional psychic I kind of stepped back with this book um, and like writing in general Um, but I had a woman who would come to me and she would always be like oh your gift your gift you're so gifted and I don't, I don't see it as a gift. And on one level, it sort of like dismisses all of the work that I put into it. Um, So I believe these are things that everyone can develop. However, I do believe that people are predispositioned to certain types of psychic ability. Um, And I think that uh, this is parallel to learning styles. Um, Anyone who's a teacher uh, of any sort, knows that people learn differently. There's auditory learners, there's kinesthetic learners, you know, so we're, we're kind of wired in different ways, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn or strengthen something else. Um, I think it just, it's about how much time and effort you put into something. Um, audience is something that I could not do up until like, I would say 10 years ago. Um, But just working with it and working at it, it's something that I've developed. So I think that as witches or psychics, I think there's a bit of gatekeeping when we refer to it as a gift or that, you know, we only have certain clairs or only certain people have it. Um, I think it's also a form of sort of lazy elitism or just even laziness in general to be like, oh, I'm clairvoyant, but I'm not you know, this other Claire. Um, it's just about how much work you put into it because, it, like, magic and psychic ability both take a lot of work. It's a practice. It's something you develop and strengthen with time and experience.
0: So let's say I'll use myself as an example. Okay. I personally think that I'm sort of a brick
2: wall. You're sort of what?
0: I'm sort of like a brick wall in terms of, like, it's hard for me to receive anything that I personally think is beyond just my very vivid imagination. Some mm. people have tried to tell me that my vivid imagination could be part of the psychic ability, but for somebody like me, that's mm. not good enough, right? It's sort of like, well, I don't know that, right? Yeah. But let's say that I was just like, okay, this is cool. And that is giving me this great new way of defining psychic ability, psychic ability, and magic ability. They are you know, totally intertwined. I feel as though I'm willing to put in the work to develop it um, and everybody can develop it, but I feel like I am a fucking brick wall. Right. Where do I even start?
2: So so yeah, um, that is a great question, exercise one. So exercise one is something I taught in a workshop and it involved two people, um, but I've kind of reworked it to be one. So what I would do is I would set two people in front of each other and I would say, you're going to pretend to be psychic. You're gonna to pretend to be the most psychic person on earth. Don't worry about being right. Don't being, worry about being wrong. Just pretend, You know, really immerse yourself in this idea um, without concern of accuracy or being right or wrong and read the person in front of you. Um, and what's interesting about that is about 80% of the information once they really get into character is accurate. Um, You know, but my rule is you can't say no. So if like someone says something and it's wrong, you don't say no because the word no shuts you down and it gets you back into that kind of um, brick wall type state, right? So role playing this idea of just allowing yourself to play is a permission slip to be wrong and to, you know, be silly and just kind of like play with the idea. Um, especially because, um, imagination is tied to psychic ability, um, both occur in the alpha brainwave state. Um, so one of the things I talk about in the book is research where, um, this man, I can't think of the name, but it's in the book. He took a bunch of different people. So he took like Christian faith healers. He took like shamanic practitioners of different cultures. He took psychics, stuff of that nature, and he set them up to the, like the electrode uh, machine and monitor their brain wave states when they would get into these abilities. And they would all slip into the alpha brain wave state. So what's interesting about that is the alpha brain wave state is the same uh, brain wave state as when you're daydreaming. Or when you're really immersed in a book and you start seeing the imagery. You know what I mean? That's the alpha brain wave state. And that's the same state that these people would get into. Um, so a lot of times when people to go back to your earlier question, like, how do I know if it's just my imagination or if it's a genuinely psychic, if it's just your imagination, you're on the right track because you're using the right pathways, the right brainwave states. And it's only through practice and uh, meditation of getting to know how your own mind works that you're able to slowly discern what's coming from you as like a projection or just kind of, you know brain noise imagination and was genuinely psychic. And the reason that I'm so big and I start right off the bat of like, you know, just pretend that you're psychic for one day and just make predictions all day without worrying if you're right or wrong. it makes people see, oh, hey, like I may have been in my own way. When I stop putting pressure on myself for accuracy or, you know, is this right or is this wrong, and I just immerse myself in the character, something happens.
0: I can definitely see how even myself characterizing my own lack of psychic ability could be a way to get in my own way. Like, it's me being like, oh, I, it can't possibly be. So I'm already telling myself that there's just no way. And maybe I do have valid psychic um, impressions, but I'm already writing it off. I'll never be able to verify it or anything like that. So who knows? Maybe, maybe I've been like having great imaginative um, ideas about what's going on and they're completely verifiable. But I was just like, no. And that just makes me think, continually makes me think that I don't have psychic ability. I've noticed that the first couple of exercises, they seem to be like confidence building. Like, so almost sort of be, um, become more of like, like you almost like deciding that you are going to be psychic. You are psychic, not yes. only just psychic, you're really, really psychic. You are totally like in the zone of being psychic. Yes, It's a kind of audacious thing, but I like it. It's, it's really
2: fun. Yeah, so I mean, like, the first exercises are all geared to unconditioning yourself, getting out of your own way and giving yourself a permission slip to try it, you know, mm-hmm. without that, that over-criticism or that over-skeptical self getting in the way um, because that is the biggest roadblock. Um, so one of my teachers... Uh, that I trained with um, that was big on psychic ability was Lori Cabot. So in uh, Witchcraft 1, we learn how to um, do what we call a health scan on someone, right? Which is to like scan them and see uh, what's going on medically with them. And near the end of the class, what we do is each one of us go and we find someone who uh, no one in the class knows, only we do um, that has something that is medically verified. So something that a doctor has diagnosed and we fill out a sheet explaining like what they look like, how old they are, um, what's wrong with them that we can, you know, it's not just like, oh, I think I have this, but something that has been verified. And then we sit in front of each other and we, uh, tell the person the name and where they live and how old they are. Um, which I've adapted in my book because, like, people are weird with age, right? Um, And then the other person has to describe what the person looks like and what's wrong with them. And everyone passes. Um, And it's one of those really powerful moments of realizing that, like, you can do this too, that this isn't something as um, mystical as we try to make it, you know? And I think that's part of um, that roadblock, right? Because when we think of psychics, we either, like you said, think of like scam artists, or we think that it's some sort of like super lofty, powerful thing, without realizing it's just something that's naturally occurring all the time. And it's really just about trusting yourself and allowing it to happen.
1: So
0: to kind of put this all into context of these exercises and stuff, I want to know a little bit more about your background, your history, like, how did you get into psychic development? It seems like this is a very big part of your magic. How did you even get into magic? I know a little bit, like, about, from your Facebook post, like, your, your kind of history, but for our audience, like, who is Matt?
2: Okay. So I discovered witchcraft around, like, eight years old because I saw the movie The Craft like you know and everyone always makes fun especially our generation of like oh they watched the craft and decided they're witches I totally watched the craft and was like I want this something resonated it was like I have found God I need to learn more you know um and from there I uh discovered Silver Ravenwolf and Scott Cunningham books and from there it's just sort of been a, uh, like a thirst, like, you know, to learn more, to practice, to experience. Um, then I kind of veered away from witchcraft, like in high school and I was getting, um, you know, cause like you're hormonal and moody and, you know, so I was like super into like Anton LaVey and like, you know, super goth kid. Um, And then I just kind of stepped away and then like after high school, I was into other practices outside of the realm of what we call witchcraft but are still um, energetic um, uh, practices and spiritual practices. Um, And then I eventually came back to witchcraft because of an experience that I had with um, what I now refer to as my familiar spirit, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, and everything just kind of lined up synchronistically, where I was in New England, and um, I was reading a Christopher Penzac book, and my partner at the time was like, oh, he lives around here, like he has a whole temple and stuff. And I was like, what? And then, you know, I reached out to him, and they were having an open house, so I started training with them. Um, and his teacher, his main teacher was Lori Cabot. So I went and... I studied with her to get more background. Um, and then I met Devin Hunter and I got like super, like, I was like, oh my God, we see eye to eye. I wanna learn your tradition and your magic. Um, but everything has been in my formal witchcraft training, there's always been a strong emphasis on psychic ability at the very beginning. Um, so that is something that I don't know is universal across the board with other teachers. Um, but with my teachers, there's always been a strong emphasis on you develop the psychic ability and then we'll work with magic. Um, you know, I, I've always had, um, psychic experiences of one sort of an or another like I said um, I'm naturally externally clairvoyant so as a child like I would see spirits all the time you know like I would have uh, these experiences that um, no one could really give a frame for other than you know like oh it's the devil because of how I was being raised Um, so you know I don't know, like it's just been a lifelong since I was eight years old. I just wanted to learn more and I wanted to explore and understand and experience. And now this is where I am.
0: I think it's very interesting that from a young age you were drawn to magic and also that you saw spirits and mm-hmm. that the way that they were explained to you was through this lens of like Christianity. Or even if somebody isn't from a Christian household, it might just be skepticism or like, oh, that's cute. Well, you're young. You were just imagining things. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of my audience, especially the younger witches, they claim to have seen or have experiences like that. Maybe people believe them, maybe they didn't, but a lot of them have problems believing in themselves. And I think a lot of it is because you sound completely crazy. If you go to school and you tell your friends, "Oh my God, guess what I saw yesterday," oh right? and they're just going to be like, "You are completely nuts." So, how does one, I guess, especially a young witch, how does one keep true to yourself? Like, you know what I mean? Like, almost like, yes, I have these like psychic experiences and stuff, but you don't let the world get to you.
2: Right. Um. That's, you know, it, that's a really good question. And that's not a question that's really easy to answer for everyone across the board, um, because everyone has different environments and situations and experiences. Um, But I think, you know, approaching it with skepticism is healthy. Um, So, like I said, there's sort of a balance between being skeptical of the experiences and just being open to what you're experiencing. Um, which is why my book is so experiential, but I don't, um, like right off the bat, I'm like, just experience it and put your own frame on it based on your experience. You know, I, I'm straight off, like, you know, this could be like divinity, whatever name you put on it. It could be a part of your subconscious mind that you're calling God, you know, like there's no, there's no concrete answer. Um, that's something that you'll have to discover on your own through direct experience. Um, and I think psychic ability is very similar to that and magical practice in general. Um, so it's it's one of those, like, when we start witchcraft, we feel like we're role playing a lot, right? Like, so, so we're, we've gathered the items, we've done the things, we've done the spell, and then we're just kind of like, I don't know if it's working or not. But there's a certain point in your practice where you know the shit works you know like there's just no doubt anymore and i think psychic ability is very similar to that um so it just really takes sort of you know practice experience and um coming to your own conclusions
0: so again to remind the audience when we talk about psychic abilities remember we're redefining this isn't the sort of miscleo stuff it's Mm -hmm. really trusting your connection with what is considered to be beyond just what can be described through the five senses, perhaps. Uh, Things that are not easily explained or classified. And it's kind of trusting that you're like, wait a second, this is symbolic to me, this means something to me, this is trying to tell me something bigger than maybe what my teachers tell me, what my tax advisor tells me, things like that. So, okay, let's say that, again, I'm this person who's just like, yeah, I don't think that I have any psychic ability, but I'm determined to put in the work. So I get your book, it's called Psychic Witch, beautiful book, and I do exercise one with a partner, okay, and I decide that I'm going to, you know, just like say, okay, Matt, you're my partner. I'm going to tell you all these things about yourself, just, I'm going to just let myself be free with my imagination. This happened to you. This happened to you. You're experiencing this. Oh, you and your roommate, whatever, you know, like I'm going mm-hmm. through that. And you don't tell me anything like, oh, no, that's wrong or anything like that. You're just right. kind of like encouraging. Mm-hmm. And then I immerse myself. So there's this is like exercise two and three. I affirm to myself that I immerse myself in the psychic atmosphere. I am so psychic. I, I really trust my psychic ability. And let's say that I do this for what, a week, two weeks? Is that how long you recommend it?
2: Um, so it depends. So the role playing aspect, um, I usually it's not usually something that occurs too long. Um, that is sort of more of like a dipping your toes in and seeing the difference between allowing yourself and not. Um, when it comes to affirmations, like the um, you know, I am psychic. I trust my psychic ability. Um, Honestly, like I think that's kind of a lifelong practice until that roadblock is out of the way. Because once again, we're reprogramming ourselves. We're, we're changing how we relate to the ideas that we're working with, particularly because they're, um, uh, like in our previous discussion, we we're talking about getting in our own ways or even how like society or like, you know, how we're told to view these things, you know? Um, so we're using affirmations, use the conscious mind to reprogram the subconscious mind. So eventually you get into the state where you don't have to role play, you know, because you start trusting your ability. And a lot of that trust comes from um, just seeing results. Um, and, and that was, you know, it's why it's so exercise heavy, um, because I want people to experience it and try it for themselves. Um, because it takes a lot of work. It's not, you know, just like I've done an exercise and now I've mastered it and I can move on. Um, it's very much like, uh, martial arts or something of that or anything of that nature where you have to keep practicing it. You know, um, doing one roundhouse kick does not mean you're a black belt or that you've mastered it. Right. And if you don't do it for a while, you know, you can kind of get rusty on it. Um, so that's why it's a practice or like music, for example, you know, like musicians are constantly going back and like revisiting the basics, you know, because that is the foundation. Um, so I don't think there's any particular timeline to anything. Um, and that's something that's very personal and hard to convey in a book. Um, which is why, you know, I don't necessarily say do this for a week, do this. You know, 20 times. It's more about like, do this until you feel it or you feel ready to move on. You feel like you've had that experience. But something that I've noticed in um, witches, including my own students and people that I've known, is that. Um, particularly when it comes to like a degree system or it comes to like reading a book and moving on to something more advanced, is that they they do it almost like it's a checklist, right? Like I've done the thing and now I can move on. But witchcraft, once again, is a practice. It's something that like, we can't lose sight of that foundation because that foundation is what everything is built upon. Um, so, you know, I've met a lot of um, occultists that you know are super you know highbrow super you know they're they're super into like the like the grimoire traditions and you know the high magic um and i've seen them do magic and i'm you know as someone who is psychically receptive i'm like that was pageantry that there was no energy movement. Like, you need to go back and, like, revisit the basics. Um, One of the things that I say in the book is that, like, I I contrast that to my experience with beginners, just lighting a candle with, like, full focus and will and how much more powerful that can be than, you know, like, reciting, like, the 92 Hebrew names of God, you know, like, without... That energetic, that connection, because magic is a science and an art. Um, And the way that I define that is, science means that there is a method to the madness. Uh, It's something that uh, we have a past. We have people who have explored it and have kind of boiled it down to being like, if you do these things, they work. These are the mechanics. But then there's the art part, which is your connection, and you need to connect. To your magic it needs to be personal just like art you know Um, you could even see art as a science uh, or using the same metaphor you know like you have to learn how to draw fucking fruit right like in an art class before you can go off and start doing your kind of like Van Gogh or like Picasso type art and I think that magic is very similar
0: I love that I love that, and it makes so much sense like personally for me what i had to do was in some ways i had to take like two steps forward and one step back a lot of times
1: Mm -hmm. i
0: thought it would be a checklist i thought okay i got this and then but then i would find myself backsliding and then for me to start saying well i guess it didn't work then but then after backsliding if i didn't give up then all of a sudden i'd make like a quantum leap Mm -hmm. but then i'd backslide again so it was always like a back and forth and back and forth and finally i have that experience enough times where I'm just like, okay, sometimes I have good days, sometimes I have bad days, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, who knows why not. So I'm guessing that for those witches who start with these, uh, beginning these chapter one exercises of trying to gain confidence in being psychic, you're going to do, let's say the exercise where you're going to guess about the other person, and you're going to have a couple of experiences where you're just like, I am fucking psychic. (laughs) <laughs> and then you're going to have some experiences where you're just like, I don't know
2: shit, right? Very similar to, let's say, tarot reading, right? So, like, you don't just jump into being like, I'm a professional reader. I'm going to charge you $200 for this reading, and it's going to be mind-blowingly accurate, right? Like, you usually kind of practice with yourself. You, you practice with friends. You exchange. You slowly start kind of taking money once you like, feel confident in it, um, and, you know, you start seeing that, like, your readings are accurate and that you can do it. Um, I think that, like, psychic ability and magic, it's very similar in that way. Um, my book, so, so magic in general, especially witchcraft, tends to be very spirit focused, right? So working with spirits, working with deities, working with entities, either beyond ourselves or, Um, You know, people frame it different ways, but I see it as, you know, actual entities. Um, But the reason that my book doesn't really have that, other than like one thing that's just sort of like, it's something about like meeting your spirit guides briefly, but it's not in depth. But the whole point is that before you start interacting with spirits, you need to really get in connection with your own spirit first, because that's the most powerful spirit connection you're gonna ever have. And that is going to also help you with your discernment of other spirits and your interactions with it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really believe that focusing on your own practice, focusing on these basics, these inner uh, works, are essentially the biggest foundation for any sort of magic or any sort of spiritual interaction that you're going to have.
0: I, I totally am on board with that. I know that you said it's not a checklist, but I've noticed that each of the chapters, they have, I would say, more and more complicated or yes. deeper magical exercises. So in a way, it would be a, a lot harder to go from chapter one to chapter like nine. Versus right? yeah. go into chapter two. So, all right, I've done chapter one, let's say. And I've done it, um, and let's say that I'm trying to move it along. I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to do perfectionist. I'm going to do it for a little bit, maybe about a week or so, and I'm going to be like, all right, I think I have just enough, like a C-plus level feeling of I'm a psychic. Now I'm going to go into chapter two. So. Let's
1: see.
2: Let me grab my copy. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I wrote this.
0: It's... It's great because I've noticed that sometimes, like maybe because my nephew, like I I told you, he likes to look through the book, Mm -hmm. sometimes he'll just be playing with it and he will open to a page and it's like an exercise and I'll be like, oh, what's this exercise, right? (laughs) So for me, it's sort of like, "Mm, maybe this is sort of like bibliomance or whatever. But
1: um,
0: the second chapter is about meditation and relaxation and this is where I think a lot of witches are gonna be like, ah, Fuck, everybody talks about meditation. I'm so sick of it. Everybody says meditation. Meditation is so hard. It's so boring. Can we just skip it? <laughs>
2: this? No. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can skip it. I mean, Link, you don't have to have a meditative practice to be a witch. Um, but you, you probably know from interviewing a lot of witches and occultists that they will go on about how meditation is one of the most important practices that you can have. And this goes back to something that you were saying earlier, which is about knowing yourself. So that's one of the main points of meditation. So if we think of the greatest psychic in history, right, like of all of history, I would say that it is the Pythia. It is the Oracle of Delphi that was world-renowned. And it's, it's a different person, you know, it's, it was a role. Um, but we know that engraved on the doorway was know thyself. That was the motto of the Pythia Um, so it's all about getting in touch with yourself knowing how you work the second point is focus focus comes with meditation so one of the biggest um, things that I hear is people are like oh I can't meditate you know um, because my mind wanders and I go back to that gym analogy if your mind is wandering you're doing it correctly Um, so you recognize your mind has wandered and you bring it back And that is the meditation. That is the resistance of the weight that you are lifting. And that ability to to be like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about something someone said and not focusing on what I'm supposed to be focusing. That is the process that helps you focus more.
0: That's great. I think a lot of people, they think that meditation is actually when you're not wandering about in your mind, when you've achieved that perfect, like, focus. And I like how you're framing it that actually the meditation literally is just bringing your focus back. One thing I noticed about this chapter of meditation, which I thought was, uh, I see what you're doing here is that you put in solar breathing, lunar breathing, star. So you're taking these elements that that show up again and again in magic, things that have to do with astrology, the moon cycles, things like that. And you are putting in those symbols to help us meditate. And I was like, I see what you're doing, I see it. So it's not just, I guess, depending on your framework, if you're a Buddhist monk, you would be chanting mantras, let's say, but as somebody with the framework of doing magic and let's say like sort of what we consider to be witchcraft, Mm -hmm. things like the moon cycle, very important, stars, very important.
2: Right, Uh, so all the psychic ability, all the meditation is actually kind of like you're saying you see what I'm doing I'm I'm setting you up to connect with these different elements that you will end up working with in magic
0: yeah so I thought that was clever because not only is it meditation so you're learning how to focus but you're also getting in touch with I guess the energy in those elements mm-hmm. in the the planets and the stars and the moon and that also is something that I think a lot of witches, new witches, it's a new concept for them. This idea that there's your energy, then there's this energy out there, um, and that you can actually kind of in a way like meld with that energy. Because I think a lot of young witches might be like, oh, you know, they're like so separate, they're bigger than me, whatever. But mm-hmm. it's sort of like the way that you're kind of teaching this seems to be a little bit more accessible. Like you are actually becoming almost like you know like bringing in close these energies
2: so um, one of the things that i'm also doing which isn't clear until later on in the book is i'm helping you build connections with different layers of reality through the very basic steps Um, so i use a seven plane of reality model which was sort of more of the traditional one that, that has not to like be all like oh new age But, like, the New Age has totally, like, added, like, 20 different layers, and it shows that they don't understand what those layers are. So, like, for example, like, they'll they'll have the astral plane, and then later they'll have the celestial plane, and they'll describe the celestial plane like the astral plane and give a very vague description of the astral plane, which astral literally means celestial. It means star, right? So, um... I talk about how these elements in witchcraft and occultism are on different levels of reality so for example the planetary energy is astral that's where that influence is that's the astral influence the elemental energy uh, which you like the fourfold breath in the book and stuff of that nature that you're connecting with the elemental is in the etheric level of reality um, and i also talk about the aura in relationship to that because you know, it's easy to map these things out as if it's like a cake, right? Like physical, etheric, astral, um, so on and so forth, but it's more of a multi-dimensional thing. Um, when we talk about our aura and our auric layers, that is just ourselves on that level of reality, which it's all multi-dimensional, right? It's not like layered, it's all happening simultaneously. Um, and I explain how magic, um, my revelation, you know, uh, which is part of what inspired this book was I realized that a lot of traditional witchcraft, um, ritual that is taught, you know, there's the staple of casting the circle and calling the elements and then do this and do that. What that's actually doing is it's pushing it up a layer of reality. So I also explain how you can do that without the tools, without the formal uh, magic through that process of reverse engineering, of just developing your psychic ability. Um, so it's, it's about being able to achieve the same results um, by using the science of it. Um, but you can do it in different ways. So you don't have to literally walk around and cast a circle. You don't have to literally like, you know, call the guardians of each direction. Um, There are steps you can do that will tap into those layers of reality and move your spell up to bring it back. And one of the things that I found really powerful about this is that this takes away um, an unintentional gatekeeping on people with disabilities and people that are maybe not mobile not everyone can stand up and walk around and cast a circle, you know? Um, not everyone can stand for such a long period of time. So my book helps kind of frame things where you can do it no matter what, what is going on. So one of my approaches with the book was, if I was stranded at sea, if I was lost in a desert, or if I was paralyzed, how would I do magic? How could I do magic if I had nothing to access?
0: That is such an important point that you're bringing up. There's definitely this bias towards able-bodiedness in a lot of these magic rituals. Um, And yet at the same time, every person, doesn't matter what body they're in, has access to energy. We're all part of source. And what I love about your exercises is that I feel as though like, I mean, for the past three, four years, I've been doing magic. You have to experience it firsthand. You literally have to develop your own psychic ability, not read about it, but do things like what's inside your book so that you actually have firsthand experience and you don't have to trust what a book says to know that you're multidimensional. Like Unless I, until I actually did some magic, I was like, oh, shit, wait a second. This is happening at the same time me doing astral projection it seems like it's happening like oh how convenient like i'm sleepy and i pop out but guess what i'm beyond this body but i didn't have known it unless i had done all this other magic beforehand so i like how your book is setting up these exercises and it's not a checklist but it's like getting more and more complicated so that you can actually verify for yourself simply because you've done it you're like oh yeah of course oh, yeah, 20 different layers. It's like, why, (laughs) right? It's like, you just know because you've done it. And you're like,
2: oh, yeah. So witchcraft is a mystery tradition. This is something I was talking to a private group the other day about, um, which is funny because the topic was spirit flight and astral projection and things of that nature. Um, And when we say mystery, um, a lot of people will think that these are like hidden secrets that are like, you know, guarded and shielded and you have to get to a certain point to get. But all the mysteries when you enter witchcraft are right in front of your face, you're just not seeing it. The reason it's a mystery is it's something that cannot be conveyed. We can intellectually talk about it, we can point to it, but until you experience it, that experience is the mystery. So astral projection is the perfect example um, because we can talk about astral projection um, and we can kind of point to what it is. But until you have that experience of leaving your body, there's something in that where you're like, I know it's true. And then people that have had that experience, they have a better understanding of what the other person is talking about um, and it reminds me of the, um, the Buddhist axiom of the finger pointing to the moon is not the moon. It's the same sort of idea. You know, we, we use our words to point to things, but until you actually experience it, it's different. And that's why I'm very big against blind faith. I'm very big about witches know. Um, they don't believe, they know, because they've experienced it.
0: Totally. I mean, I remember like there was some TikToks where I was talking about astral projection and people were asking me, well, how do you know that you weren't dreaming? And I was like, listen, you know, and it's hard to try to convince somebody who's never experienced it before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Those who've experienced, they know you're not dreaming. And there's a certain quality to an astral projection that's very different from the dreams
2: it's like an initiation like the first time I left my body because it was it was spontaneous which is how I was like I need to learn how to do this and how to control it because I just started popping out of my body but the first time I did it, it was terrifying I was like am I dead like what the what the hell is happening um and I think a lot of things are like that um when it comes to witchcraft and the spiritual and things of that nature and that's where it goes from like armchair blind belief and theory to the actual experience of the mysteries
0: yeah that's why i think that a book like yours where it's so much about do the damn exercises i'm not here to tell you what it's like do it experience it your experience may be a little bit different from you know your neighbor's experience but it's probably going to be similar-ish so that there is some sort of like shared experience. But I mean, there's like you mentioned, like there's so many different exercises, close to a hundred different exercises. If you want to- which is
2: my little Easter egg. How many? 93. 93. Which is a reference to Thelema.
0: Oh, cute. So it's like- you go through each of the exercises, and I'm guessing it's all, right to, it's all right to skip some exercises, right? You don't have to do every single one.
2: I would recommend not. So I would recommend at least reading the book all the way through before you skip around. Um, and one of the reasons is that building of that foundation, but also, um, for example, like I try to bring things that are not discussed often with basics so things like grounding is talked about a lot but no one that i've come across has a strong firm understanding of why you do that and why it's important um grounding because the original writings on it aren't really read and aren't really taught anymore so grounding actually comes from electricity the idea of a grounding wire right so it's this idea of making sure that you don't overload your system with magical energy, which can happen. So it's sort of like a safety mechanism. Um, when you don't do that, in occultism, uh, there's an experience that we call magical impact. And magical impact is not fun, and it's felt in different ways. Um, it can feel like Um, If you've ever been in a car accident, that sort of like whiplash feeling that happens, uh, it can be like that. It can be flu-like symptoms. It can be just sort of um, a natural resistance to doing your practice or doing magic. Um, It can also show up in... um, uh, being fried and this is why I think not I think there is merit to a lot of new age practices Um, but there isn't the discipline of formal training or instructions so you see a lot of people who get really into the new age stuff end up becoming fried and um, which is the same term as someone who's done too much acid right so suddenly it's like they're not on this plane of reality they're talking about like you know, Ashtar command from the Pleiades and reptilians. And like, it's just, they've, they're, they're done. You know, they can't work on this level, this physical reality, which we've incarnated in for a fucking reason.
0: I totally know what you mean. When I lived in Bali, um, I had a Balinese friend, his name is Nano. And he said, like in many Hindu um, cultures, at around the age of 40 or so, A man who's worked all his life and has some sort of wealth he can choose to retreat from the world and sort of become more spiritual and i think a lot of uh, orthodox jewish households are like that too you can you can retreat if you're the man and start to study but you have to study with the teacher if you only study with books it doesn't matter if they're the best translations you don't have a teacher and you only study the books and you're obsessively studying the books What NaNo describes is that you'll become the man who starts kicking and cursing the tree. Like you'll start acting in a way like a schizophrenic. You won't be able to function in this world because you're not grounded. It's almost like it's too much. Your reality shatters. A lot of magic, it's even the firsthand experiences. I remember the first time that I astral projected, it scared the living shit out of me, and I needed some time to process it. Imagine if I was like, I'm going to do it again and again. And again, and again, it just wouldn't work. Fortunately, I'm really scared of everything. So I was just like, I'm gonna be conservative. But I think a lot of young people, they're so eager for that sort of edgy
1: experience
0: that they're gonna constantly try to push it and they're gonna end up being super ungrounded. And it's sort of like, yeah, then everybody starts, we've all met the person with the crazy eyes, so. To become like that is not cool either, which I guess now I can see why it's important to do the exercises in order um, in your book. If there's 93 and they're all building on each other and you're doing them so that you build confidence and you go to the next step and the next step. So you're grounding yourself each
2: level. Right. And you're building that foundation. So, like, Um, even if you don't fry yourself energetically like if you go from like exercise one to I'm just pulling a random number to like exercise 70 right like there's a strong chance it's not gonna fucking work you know because you need to get there like you can't um, you know do a backflip if you can't do a handstand, you know what I mean? You have to kind of work your way up to getting to that level.
0: Like the the analogy you gave of learning a musical instrument. You can't go from learning how to play, you know, simple notes on the guitar, to playing like Spanish flamenco on the guitar, um, just within like a month to maybe not even years. So that makes total sense. The fact that people think that magic is one of those things where, you're so special or that you're born with this natural talent or only certain people are born with that talent. They can go from you know, womb to you know, semi-deity um, in a short amount of time. I think that is something that a lot of young witches they struggle with. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's easy for them to sort of fall under the spell of people on social media who claim to be like that, ascended masters and who have the secret. Like if you're, if you're my student, then just being the proximity of me you will go from like zero to like hero within a short amount of time i like how your book is saying actually it's everybody's birthright and you just develop it at your own pace and you can get to it you don't need you know star child you know lilac moon to like send
2: you there right right And, um, you know, very early in the book, you know, I make it clear, I don't know if it's my introduction or chapter one, you know, I I straight up say, like, I'm not here to prove to you that psychic ability and magic are real. Like, I want you to experience it for yourself and know it. Um, And you can't really, as you're saying, you can't rush the basics, because that is a pitfall of not just new people like like TikTok witches or Instagram witches or people who are just starting to sink their teeth into this. Like I see this in some of the most um what's a nice way to put it? People who've been doing this for a long time. You know, there's this idea that because something is more complex, it's more powerful. And that is absolutely not true. Like if you make a fantastic house out of straw, you know, like a complicated house, it's not gonna stand, it's not gonna last, it's not gonna be as powerful as like a very simple brick building. I don't know, I'm just kind of pulling these metaphors out of my ass right now. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I'm very clear that the foundation has to be firm for anything to happen. And I think that every um, magician that I respect and that I see as very powerful I know that they regularly go back and revisit the basics themselves. Um, And I think it's very similar to the idea of music, this idea that like musicians will go back and they'll revisit the basics.
0: Any sort of teacher or experienced magician, even if they're not a teacher, if they are Mm -hmm. ungrounded in any sort of way, If they're full of like just ego and arrogance or they're constantly talking about how great they are, they're always starting some drama or shit. Mm -hmm. They're not as powerful magicians as they claim to be simply because their energy doesn't seem to have, I don't know, it may have just literally fried them. Maybe they were ungrounded, maybe they got too complicated and they didn't ground that energy, whatever it is. So even the way they are in quote-unquote non-magical ways shows you a lot of who they are as magicians.
2: Any sort of power, uh, whether it's magical or um, you know, other uses of the word power, like influence and stuff like that, people who are genuinely powerful do not need to tell other people how powerful they are um, because they're powerful. Um, often it's compensating and it's a manipulation um, when they go on and on about, like, how powerful or how influential they are or, or whatever. It's, it's that ego again, and, um, I have a very different relationship with the idea of ego, um, than a lot of the usage. You know, I go back to the, like, Jungian and Freudian sense of that it's just your self-identity, but self-identity, too, is going, to, if you get too locked in your personality, that's going to hinder you, because a lot of, uh, both psychic ability and magic is about going beyond yourself and connecting and merging. And, you know, it's not, we start with ourselves and the book is very firm about like connecting with yourself and getting those basics down. But as you proceed, it's not just about you, even if you're doing practical magic all the time that is for your own personal life and it's not super spiritual, you're still connecting with things beyond yourself. And when you're so fixated on the self, you're going to have another brick wall there that's going to make it more difficult.
0: That is sort of like, I think maybe the second brick wall that many people, and I'm guessing that everybody, once you have a taste of how powerful all of us, we've all experienced it as witches, Mm-hmm. When you can taste how powerful you can be, it's hard not to let it get to your head. You know, sometimes right. I'm just like, damn, powerful, right? And so to not let it get to my head is definitely something that I have to work on a lot. And I think a lot of people do. There's, you know, that's just natural. But I've definitely noticed that one of the things that they'll do is instead of giving practical advice to these young witches on how to develop themselves. Mm-hmm. It's almost more like just listen to what I say, right? Just listen to what I tell you is reality instead of your first hand experience
2: doing that. Which, which to me is not the path of the witch. Um, Andrew Tumbly, uh, you know, he talks about how the path of the witch is the lonely road. So and I really resonate with that. So even if we have traditions, even if we have covens, even if we're, you know, gardenarian or fairy or whatever tradition at the end of the day, our spiritual magical relationship is something alone. We're born into this world alone, we die alone, we, ex- we experience our dreams alone, like the path of the witch is solitary, even if we're like not purely solitary practitioners. Um, and that's why I'm very big on, you know, you experiencing for yourself, what is your truth? Because I don't believe in the idea of cookie cutter religion or spirituality. Um, For me, part of the witch archetype is that heretic. It is that person who, you know, like, that's not my experience. You know, you're telling me this, but my experience is different. You know, it kind of, and I think that's, that's different for each person because each soul is unique. If it wasn't unique, there would be no point in having an ego, no point of having a personality and an individuality. Um, And this ties into my loftier ideas of, like, you know, incarnation and being parts of source, you know. Um, But at the end of the day, like, it's really your journey. And to deny someone of that is actually hurting them instead of helping them.
0: But now that you've advised, like, kind of go through them in order. So I'm just like, okay, let me try that. You know, Let's try like them more in order. But I would say maybe for somebody who's a little bit more experienced, they'll do like one exercise per chapter. They don't have to do every single exercise, if they've been doing the other exercises in their own way for a while.
2: Um, so I, I recommend when learning, when going through the book, because I see it as sort of my way of teaching. So it's like my masterclass in a little book, right? On this topic. Um, I think it's very important to approach it um, the way that I'm teaching it. And that's what I talk about at the very beginning. So, um, you know, I'm initiated in various witchcraft and occult traditions and orders. And every time I enter into one of it, I approach it as if I know nothing. Um, you know, and I do it the way that I'm taught. And then once I'm done, when I go back to my personal practice, you know, I can rework things. Um, a perfect example is, uh, Jason Miller's Sorcery of Hecate, um, because I entered into that with my own relationship and my own practices and connections with Hecate. And I had to put all of that aside and do it exactly as he was saying. And if I didn't do it the way that he was saying to do it, I don't think I would have got out of it um what I did you know but while I'm not studying it you know I've already gone through cycle one um how I actually do those exercises is totally different than how I was taught you know but I think there's something to sort of having that um to borrow a yoga phrase that beginner's mind of entering into something fresh and learning it the way that it's taught um because I also think that um when you go in and you're like, okay, I'm a seasoned witch, oh, I know how to do this, or I do this my own different way, I think that's ego again, you know? So for the purposes of training, you do it the way that it's taught. And then at the end of the book, I end it with being like, now that you know how to do these things, make it your own, you know? Do it however you want, however you relate to it. Put your cosmology, your your beliefs I hate that word, your beliefs, your spiritual beliefs, into it. Because um, the book is, because um, some some witches and psychics are going to be atheists. Some are going to be polytheistic. Some are going to be um, more Christian-oriented. And because magic and psychic ability is a birthright, it's something that's natural, anyone can do it. Um, but I think there's something to learning how to do something the way that it's taught to get the most out of it before you go and you try to um, make it your own. Alistair Crowley has a famous quote about, um, you have to learn the rules before you can break them in magic, and I think um, that applies to my book. So I would hope that people would approach it as, you know, doing it the way that I'm teaching it, trying to take it step by step. Um, Especially because there's certain things like um, when you get to the glamoury shape-shifting for um, how people perceive you, you know, there's certain things where I'm like, invoke your lower self. But if you don't understand exactly what I mean by that, um, especially because in occultism and witchcraft and magic, sometimes we use the same word to mean different things. Um, so there's an assumption and, and the one that comes straight to mind is familiar. Right, Familiar means different things to different witches. Sometimes it's your fucking cat, right? Um, but like the way that I view familiar spirit is it's, it's a spirit. It's not a physical animal companion. It's something different. Um, so being clear on what that is and understanding um, how that's being taught, what the, what the verbiage and definition of how a word is being used is really important.
0: Thank you for that clarification. Okay, now this book is reframed in a completely different way. From This is your masterclass on how to develop as a psychic witch. Would there be a difference in any sort of way that a more experienced witch would go through this book?
2: So that's kind of hard to, just because everyone's different. So um, without, dropping any names. Um, My book has been really well received, including by people that are revered elders in occultism, like people who literally started things that we think of as Wicca or, you know, different traditions. Um, And one of the things that they said was that there is a depth that has been brought to these practices that has not been explored before. Um, And that's one of the things I talk about at the beginning, which is mastery is not so much about how high you can make your your uh skyscraper right mastery is about how deep you can make a practice go um because you know otherwise you're at best a master or a jack of all trades master of none you know so mastery is really about like mastering something and not only is that practice but it's about understanding it um i i like, I don't know if you glanced at my bibliography in the back, but it goes from everything from like old ass occultism books to like Silver Raven Wolf, you know? Because I'm I'm trying to unite pieces of information on topics that are scattered um, into one place to get a better understanding of some of these practices that we see as um, sort of taken for granted. Mm,
0: I see that in your bibliography, there's also Carl Jung. There is old school, like, do you like, offer a class? They're much more of a class person. So they need like a teacher to kind of keep them on track. Do you offer like a class version of this?
2: Um, at the moment, I do not. Um, at the moment, my focus is on writing um, because I have contracts and that t- that takes up so much of my time along with promoting of the book. But I wrote this to try to be a class. Um, eventually, I am going to develop an online class, which is based on this book, but also adds more to it. You know, So it's not just the same thing over and over. Um, but at the moment, I currently do not actively teach this, especially with quarantine going on. Um, But my hope was with this book that it could be somewhat of a replacement of a teacher because it's essentially um, the exercise component of it is workshops that I've been teaching for years. It's things that I've been teaching students um, and doing talks on and stuff of that nature kind of compiled into one and one of the real struggles of writing this book translating it from something i've been teaching for many years to something that is a book is making it linear Uh, that was the hardest part because there was like in my teaching um for many years it's very much now that you know how to do this go back to this thing and we have something new added to it so there's a lot of back and forth so like trying to make it linear has been very, very difficult. That being said, I am, I am always open to answering questions related to the book specifically and what I'm teaching. I'm not open to answering your questions about demons or, you know, like a vision you had. Um, but I, I, you know, there's something to be said about having a teacher. There's something to be said about not having a teacher. There's something to be said about reading books. There's something to be said about Putting books away and this goes back into like my idea that witchcraft is the crooked path and I don't just mean that in right-hand path and left-hand path but it's also um, like if we were to think of like traditional occultism right it's that middle pillar it's you know the um, the rational mind and the intuitive mind it's the light and the darkness um, I avoid a lot of gender in my um, book and in my witchcraft um you know I do work with the concept of gods and goddesses and gendering them that way but the way that I teach teach it um because that's just language it's just a metaphor you know um that's why it's solar breathing and um lunar breathing it's not you know a deity with a penis breathing and you know deity without a penis breathing because I think that um the gender idea in occultism is something that has kind of gotten out of hand and gotten a little bit too literal and has gotten a bit too outdated.
0: I'm, I totally agree with that. And now that I know that it's a masterclass and that it kind of makes sense that if it's developing trust in yourself to, to, in your own psychic abilities it also makes sense that in a lot of ways having this guide it could be just as helpful as having a teacher because in a lot of ways a lot of people they kind of use the teacher as like a crutch as a guru but sort of like as mommy or daddy figure that they can lean on but this is kind of like no you're developing your own trust your own self-belief i mean the first three exercises literally the entire first chapter is about you are a powerful psychic, you you got this, you're talented, all you need to do is get out of your own way.
2: And a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from um, like readers, like the average reader, is that it feels like having a teacher there guiding you through these things, which is like, yes, because that was my intent, you know. Um, I don't want to be preachy, I don't want to be all theory, I don't want to be all practice. I want to find the middle ground, but make it practice-oriented, along with having a word count um, that I have to, like, bind myself in, which I think a lot of people don't realize when it comes to books with publishers, is that there's literally a word count, so it was a matter of what is the most important things to put in this that the reader needs to know and what is something that can be used somewhere else later. So like, this is like, for me, for um, the foundations of psychic ability and magic, this is the need to know, need to experience masterclass that I've written.
0: Awesome. So if you were to describe this book using three songs, or three movies, three, just any pieces of art,
2: what would they be? Hmm, that's songs. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's definitely a soundtrack that I had while listening to it. And I think that's normal for uh, writers or even artists to be, like, listening to something while they work. Um, while I was writing this book, I was listening to a lot of Chelsea Wolf. Um, I was listening to a lot of Bjork, a lot of Portishead. Um, so like maybe that has been kind of put into it. Um, in the book, in the audience section, I talk about learning how to retrain how you just hear things. Um, so there are artists that I reference as being beneficial, like, like Bjork or Radiohead or you know, artists that use noises that are unconventional and use them in unconventional ways to sort of retrain how you hear things. Um, so that's, I mean, if it were movies, like it would be like the craft, of course, because that's always going to be, you know, my, my, my route. I don't know if you ever saw, but I'm a cheerleader. They, um, but I'm a cheerleader. They talk about, so it's an old movie. It's an old like gay movie where like this lesbian is sent to like um, camp to be like fixed or whatever. And it has RuPaul, but they all have this idea of a root. Like what is their root of why they're gay? So it's like, oh, my mom got married in pants. That's why I'm gay, you know? Um, So I would say like the craft is my root for this book. Um, I don't know. It's... That's a really interesting question, and I think music definitely—it would be more like artists than songs, um, and it would definitely be more music than movies. Um, so,
0: Horsehead, Bjork, Radiohead—would you say? Sort. I'm kind of thinking. Well, Bjork, obviously, because Bjork is just wonderfully, charmingly eccentric.
2: Yes. Um, magical.
0: Magical. Super magical. Um Definitely, Radiohead, when I'm thinking about, like, there was a point in my life where I was listening to, what was it? I think not their first album, their next two, like, what was it? Kid A and the...
2: OK Computer. OK
0: Computer, those two albums, I was just listening to them, like, like on repeat for a while, and it's very hypnotic, so I can definitely see that. Yeah. That it's a very emotional experience when it was like, the 40s. Yeah, um, and,
2: and I guess that's something, too, um, about all the artists I list is that it's very emotional and it's not just the lyrics, it's how they use sound, whether that's instruments or whether that's their voice. It's almost like there's another layer put into those type of artists as opposed to like, like in sync or something, you know? Um.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, you're totally right. I guess that's one of the things as well. Like, um, you know, I think a lot of young witches, they keep asking like, oh, you know, I feel like my taste in art is kind of like lowbrow. And they want to like listen to stuff where it's like, oh, these other other witches have like cool taste in music and stuff. But I really don't, you know, I'm 13 years old, whatever and stuff. So how do you feel about some people, you know, they they just really like, And they feel really magical when they're listening to Ariana Grande.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, do it. Like, I am a gay man. So, like, I love me some basic witch pop, you know? Um, I, you know, I even do, and, and I got this from, like, Conjure practices. So, like, in Conjure, like, a lot of times they'll listen to, like, certain blues songs or certain jazz songs to empower the working. So, like, um... I do that with a lot of pop songs. So this is really silly, but like when I'm doing money magic, um, I listen to Cardi B. Um, You know, like especially because that song, that um, money, it's very Venetian. And Venus is where I find money magic comes in for me, not so much Jupiter or anything like that. So with Venus, it's about drawing, it's about attracting. And so what's great about that song is it's money, but it's sexual, it's alluring. So it really taps into that Venetian, you know, come, come.
0: Very magnetic, yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: Yeah, I really think that um, a lot of uh, witches, they, they tend to sort of judge themselves on other people's, whether it's their results, or their tastes, or they're not witchy enough, or whatever. And it seems like books like this are saying, just do the experiential stuff, and by exercise 93, you'll have a stronger sense of what sort of witch you are. Because once you develop that psychic ability, the type of witch that you are, the type of person that you are, is gonna become more clear. Yes,
2: one, one of those roadblocks in anything in life and witchcraft, especially um, as a spiritual practice, because I do believe it is, whether you believe in deity or not, it's still a spiritual practice. Um, you know, comparing yourself to others is going to hold you back so much Um, because really the only person you're competing with is yourself and that competition is about growth it's not about like beating yourself up Um, Jason Miller to reference him again um, he has a saying that like I love which is um, I'm gonna butcher it now too Um, but it's it's like uh don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, I think is the sentence he uses. That's what he said. And and, like, that's exactly it, you know, especially when it comes to things of like personal practice, like doing it and doing it by your own terms is going to be more powerful than doing it how you think you should be. Um, Especially if it's like, um, okay, so let's let's take... um, Instagram, for example, Instagram or like TikTok or things of that nature. So one of the things with the witch aesthetic is I believe that there's a magic to it, right? There's a glamoury, and glamoury is magic. So I will tell you straight up, like my whole Instagram, like my magic don't look like that. Like you know, my altars are not beautiful, perfect. Most witches aren't. You know, a lot of witches will take a lot of time on Instagram to set up a photo. Um, And I've met a lot of beginners that try to compare their practice with that. And not only is that hindering them through comparison, but it can also put you in the materialistic trap. Um, So I love the witch aesthetic specifically because I'm I'm a goth kid at heart. Like, I'm always going to be that little goth kid, witch or not, you know? So, like, I'm already drawn to that sort of a, a thing. Um, but I view it as a magical tool, um, just like glamoury, you know? And it's about how you use it. And if you're getting hung up on that aesthetic or you're getting hung up on trying to be better than others or be up to par with others, um, that's going to hold you back in your path.
0: Totally. What other projects are you working on
2: right now? So I am working I'm working on so many projects. So I'm working on a project that I have not announced and it's still secret, and it's something that I've asked you to contribute to and you have. Um, and all I can say is that it is a companion to Psychic Witch, and it's the other side of the coin. Um, You'll have to wait for that announcement. Um, my childhood hero is doing the forward for that, which is Silver Raven Wolf. So I'm like, ah. Um, I'm contracted for a book after that as well. Um, and uh, that's all top secret, but that's kind of going in a different direction. I have, I have like seven book ideas that I wanna do. I wish I could just siphon them. Um, we have the official witches' Sabbath coming up, which I have been asked to be a guest speaker. Um, my roommate Devon is uh, the organizer for that. Devon and Laura Tempest, the Croft, are the ones organizing it. Um, them. They're
0: so awesome, both of
2: them. Yeah, so um, we have a lot of uh, featured speakers and guest speakers, but there's also um, the Witchy Awards that they're doing, which is going to be announced soon, and it'll be announced by the time this goes up. Uh, which is really cool because it's um, about people voting for different categories of stuff, like, you know, favorite uh, social media accounts of the year, favorite new author, favorite, you know, uh, podcast. And there's going to be like literal awards, like nice awards that are sent out. So um, that's cool, because I don't think our community really has that, um, especially as content creators, whether, you know, um, we're a YouTuber, or whether we're an author, Um, because even authors like this niche of a field, like we don't get recognized, Um, even with how many like books we may sell or how many people we reach, like it's just a field, like the closest is cover, the cover awards, and that's very new age oriented. So I love that like Devin and Tempest are creating something for our community and that it's not just, you know, just for authors or just for this or that. It's different areas. So I'm
0: excited. Yeah, from what I remember, this book is doing really well in terms of sales and translations.
2: It is, yes. Um, It's been
0: translated into...
2: So um, it's been translated into Russian and printed. Um, The translation rights have been bought in two other languages. Um, One is uh, Chinese, um, and the other is Polish. Um, There's another language, too. It's slipping my mind. Um, I want it to be in Spanish, but that's something that the publishers have no control over. So the idea is foreign publishers come to Llewellyn, and they're like, I would like to buy the translation rights for this. And then that publisher produces it. So it's just kind of like who comes, you know, gets it. Um, book sales, I am very, very blessed. It's been very well received. Um, I'm not going to announce the number of reprints or how many copies have been sold. Um, but I have been told that if this were through a major publisher, it would be on the New York Times bestseller list right now. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And I can
0: definitely see why. I mean, It's really rare. It's really, really rare. And I've looked through a lot of books, um, you know, publishing companies also, like, ask me to look at certain books. And things that have to do with more, you know, like new age subjects, like psychic development, they're, they're just kind of, if I had to describe them with emotion, they're just sort of like this. Versus this, it truly is something that a beginner witch knows absolutely nothing. Like you could be a 13-year-old who's living in the middle of like Iowa, like you don't have a witch shop in your town. It's like one traffic light. Just order it, it'll arrive in the mail, and you could start to work through the exercises. And you know, you take your time. You're it's not a rush. There's no contest. You go through it and maybe you spend a couple of weeks, a couple of months going through it, and by the time that you finish it. So, I think both of us would agree that it's a good idea to sort of focus on a couple of things at a time. You don't want to do everything at once. No, you no. Can kind of look at this as a way, perhaps, to start developing the basics of your witchcraft. You know, before you decide you're gonna work with Hecate, or, you know, maybe even while you're working with Hecate, but you want to deepen that relationship because you want to gain trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. would do something, like the exercises, 93 exercises, 93 or 96? 93. 93 exercises. Which is the
2: number of Thelema.
0: Wow, yeah, that's right. 93 exercises in this book. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I would say, no matter what magical path you're on, these exercises will help you for sure. And these are, you know, agnostic in terms of the path. This is just something that maybe even if you're not a witch, and you just wanna be more spiritually connected to yourself. I can see somebody like Susan at the yoga studio being like, you know what, I wanna like do something like this to kind of have more faith in when I meditate or when I'm trying to gain messages, um, when I'm doing my tarot readings for myself every day, I pull one or two cards, this might help her too.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Um, You know, I, I know a lot of people who are saying that they're doing this as a year. Um, a year to go through the practices like they've read it um, and I think that's great like pace yourself Um, it also doesn't have to be something that you do alone which you touched upon it's something that you can do on the side um, especially because it's a do it at your own pace thing Um, there is no initiation at the end there is no award there is no big like hurrah You know, it's all about just, like, that mindful development of practices. Um, And it ends at the, like, the very last chapter before the conclusion is my psychic spells and magic tricks. So uh, what I mean by that is by the time you get to the end of the book and you feel confident with it, I teach how to do magic on the spot with nothing but your mind. Um, You know, because when we, uh, we... first learn about magic as children you know it's usually like fairy tales or media and we think of magic as something that like is done with a gesture or a thought or a word or something like that and then as we enter into witchcraft we're like oh no it's not really like that but this book I'm kind of saying it is like that it's just not as easy as it looks like you're not going to turn someone into a frog you know but like there's definitely uh, magic that you can do on the spot and that's something that old occultists really put an emphasis on that does not have an emphasis now. So even like, um, Dion Fortune's definition of magic, you know, it's all about shifting consciousness, you know, um, the older occultists really put an emphasis on this hermetic idea that it's in your head the power's in your head and that's where it starts um not to say that it's solely egocentric and self-centric but that's the place where it starts you know um you can you can work with an herb, for an example, in a spell, but it's going to be more powerful if you have that self development to be able to reach out and connect to that herb.
0: Right, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like when I, now that I'm on TikTok and I'm seeing what a lot of these beginner witches are doing, they oftentimes don't have as you know, familiar, just enough practice and familiarity with the basics. And so I can see something as accessible as this and something that anybody, if you have mail service, you can order the book and you can go through the exercises and spend a year. And again, it's not like you can't do anything else for that entire year, but it's like you're definitely gonna see yourself develop bit by bit as you go along with it. And then if you are working with plants, if you're working with crystals, if you're working with tarot, I can see this being a great companion. If you're going into tarot readings, Lenormand readings, playing cards, any sort of definition. This would be a great companion to that.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah one, one of the things too, like talking about how like I'm trying to re re-appro- the basics with the depth, but also like tying the like the older stuff no one's reading anymore, because it's like dusty and boringly written and not really well circulated with the newer stuff. So for example, one of the biggest misconceptions that I see sort of um, taken for granted, and a lot of 90s books definitely kind of made this mistake, um, is this idea that the elements are literal. Um, So the idea that like water has anything to do with actual water is, is bullshit um or earth so what these are if you go back to like the writings of of like plato and like these older you know um uh occultists and philosophers and alchemists and stuff of that nature they're describing different forms of energy and the metaphor being used is these four elements because that's how it's perceived psychically when you work with So fire, for example, has nothing to do with literal fire, but that energy that you're working with is something that feels heated, it feels warmed, it feels faster, Um, you know? So just understanding that and shifting your relationship with it is going to change your whole magical practice because no longer are you just working with the symbol without understanding why that symbol is a symbol. Once you have that deeper understanding and connection to it, boom, you know, your magic takes off to a different level.
0: I noticed that this book definitely has exercises that deal with a lot of these magical topics, elements, the planetary glyphs, astrology. So I feel as though, as you're going through these exercises, of course, you're learning to trust yourself more, but you are also learning legit magic hacks and tricks and tips. Things like you mentioned, the Play-Doh, the old dusty stuff, you know, like Ptolemy, whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the entire like element thing, I remember like when I learned that, oh, fire is a feeling of like that dry, hot, fast feeling, And earth is like that cold, kind of like almost like going to the beach during nighttime and you put your feet inside the dirt and it's like that sort of feeling. I was like, oh. a lot of young witches, they don't realize that they see it very literally because no one really made that distinction for them. So you're learning these distinctions while you're also learning how to trust yourself when you're going through these exercises.
2: Yeah. That's so
0: fabulous. A little sort of like preview of some of the things that you'll learn later in the book. Some diagrams. Um, Speaking of the elements talk more about it in the book. Oh, open the watchtower. Very cool concept.
2: So like, if we go to the very end of the book, that's where like the exciting mind magic is. So page 202, chapter 15, like if you start looking through that stuff, these are things that are going to help you just in your daily life but you get to the point where you can just do it in your head. So there's things like, um, uh, for example, like being protected while you're walking to the car. There's things about like clearing a room if you need it cleared. There's things about not being noticed. There's um, shape-shifting, which is more, it's shape-shifting glamory, which is about how people perceive you, um, which is an energetic trick. you know, we, we think of glamour and shape-shifting as, like, literal things as beginner, but um, as I discuss in the book, really, it's, it's all about your lower self conveying something to someone else's lower self. So it's this primal aspect of yourself conveying primal information to someone else, and since it's lower self, we don't understand how or why we're registering it that way, but we are. Um, Which is, okay, so this is another point. This is, I define intuition and psychic ability as two totally different things. And I think people use them interchangeably, and that's wrong. So intuition, um, I explain as being lower self-information being presented to the middle self, so our conscious mind, right? Psychic ability is stuff from our higher self to our middle self. So what I mean by the lower self, the lower self is our emotional and our animal self, right? It's like us as animals. So animals are constantly scanning their environment for information. So I don't know if you've ever seen BBC's Sherlock, um, where he like, you know, when he's deducing something, he's picking up all these like little things on someone, right? Um, Like scuffs on the watch and stuff of that nature. Um, And then he comes up with a conclusion. So intuition is that, it's just not conscious. So it's information we're getting from our environment on an animal level. And since it's our lower self, we feel it in ways that are emotional. So like we get a certain emotional feeling or we feel it physically, like we'll talk about a gut feeling, you know, um, things of that nature. Psychic ability has nothing to do with your environment. It's stuff that is beyond that. So like psychic ability tends to be, um, for example, like if I'm in a session with a client, um, there's certain, certain things that are going to be intuitively based. Uh, things that I'm just kind of picking up and not really conscious of why I'm picking it up. But then when I get to like names and places and things of that nature, that is psychic because there's nothing in my environment that I could be unconsciously picking up for that. Um, But I do believe that psychic ability and intuition weave in and out of each other. But I put such a strong emphasis on the three souls, the three selves, uh, which is an actually really old occult tradition. And it's actually conveyed in different religions and traditional practices, sometimes uh, more than three, sometimes less. Um, But this idea of being multi-selfed, and I talk about how to invoke and work with only that aspect um, to get information in different ways. So the way that I explain it is it's like um, if we were to view the middle self, our conscious mind, as reading glasses, right? Like it's going to help us see what's around us, stuff of that nature. Um, If we work with just our lower self, it's like using a microscope and seeing things on a different level that we can't see. And the higher self is like a telescope. And of course, this is a metaphor, but when you can see things on different levels um, and to be able to operate on different levels, it's gonna vastly impact how you do magic and receive psychic information.
0: And I can totally see how if you are, let's say, the person with the microscope or the magnifying glass, looking at the cells, the subatomic particles, but also you're reading the report about the subatomic particles. And you're also looking at outer space. You're looking at what's going out beyond Earth. Integrating all that information is what creates the most powerful, the most complete picture. You can't just focus just on one thing. Exactly. And, Um, And most witches, they seem to concentrate only on one thing as being superior than the other.
2: Um, and then there's something too, um, which comes from my influences of uh, working with Devon um, in Sacred Fires and he's fairy trained. So there's a lot of influence of the Victor Anderson fairy tradition in it, as well as, you know, there's other artists or other authors that talk about this in different ways, like Ryan Foxwood, Andrew Chumbly and stuff, but there's this concept of the witch fire and the witch fire occurs when these three souls align, when they're united as one because it's sort of like, um, to use another really weird metaphor, it's like the dark crystal, right? So like you have the Skeksis and you have the mystics, but then they come together and they become this almost like godlike entity. So it's about taking these different parts of ourselves that we're not usually consciously working with, learning what each one of those are and then putting it together um, for that really strong magic. Damien Eccles has been messaging me because he's reading the book right now, and he's like, "Oh my God, this is amazing da 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 da, da. you know, but he talked about in his patreon because he did a patreon video like telling everyone to read it. Um, he was saying how he was reluctant to read it because of the cover and because of the word witch. you know it put it off, but that's intentional. Um, I want this to look. You know, like that Instagram-y, you know, beginner-friendly kind of alluring book. Because a lot of those really pretty books that are being put out right now are not, I mean, they're written by the author. But they're formulated by a company that is using data-mined information and laying out everything from chapter to the sections in it. So it's like a paint by number type thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these people are not, um, in my opinion, qualified to be teaching people yet. Um, So (laughs) I kind of wanted to like go in there and be like, you know, like pick up this book because it looks kind of like these pretty books too. Um, But you know, I'm very big on crediting my sources, too, is something you'll find in this, which a lot of uh, witchcraft books don't, you know? Um, And the reason for that is because I want people to discover other authors and other teachers and other books and writings and ideas because, you know, I'm not focused on this being a Bible. This shouldn't be a Bible. This isn't how you do it. It's how you can do it. Uh, very proficiently, but um, you know, if someone discovers who Lori Cabot is or if someone discovers who um, Agrippa is, um, you know, there's all these little like breadcrumbs to follow to really kind of get to that information. Because I think in our community, um, because like I believe you're a part of this community too, like you and I are kind of like bridged in our communities right so we're part of that traditional occult and pagan kind of world you know uh with notable authors and notable traditions and stuff of that nature but then we're also tapped into these this new community that has arisen outside of it you know uh people who are not necessarily like uh going to festivals or know who you know jason miller is or you know, what certain traditions are, but they're interested in being witches. And the larger occult community, especially the witchcraft community, looks down on these other witches for not knowing their stuff or coming across a certain way. And that's why I'm very big on reminding people Um, that I came to the craft because of the movie, The Craft, and that I came to the craft because of the writings of Silver Ravenwolf, that we all start somewhere. And these are people who genuinely want to learn. These are people who genuinely have a thirst, you know, not everyone's going to stay with witchcraft once it's not a trend, you know, but some people are. And if we never, like, extend that olive branch, you know, like, never extend, our information and our knowledge to them like we're not serving our purpose as teachers
0: maybe because in the past it was so hard to get this information like i mean two generations before us i mean maybe your local library had like one book right i remember phil Hine telling me he did like some sort of like mail-in correspondence course about magic there was no like online like teachable.com course where you can click on videos or anything like that so I mean, I guess for them, it's sort of like, it, it was hard won, this this knowledge. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with the aesthetic choices. Yeah. And I
2: was, also- I even told Llewellyn, I was like, you know, I'm gonna be Bridezilla on the cover.
0: And this is so interesting because it's like, you have all this really like intense, legit occult information, magic information, in this beautiful, like, again, my nephew being like, no. Owl, <laughs> he's naturally drawn to this just in terms of like the prettiness of it so in terms of like that i think it's so important yeah absolutely like the girl who's gonna pick up like a more like superficial book is also going to consider this because the cover is going to be like ooh, pretty
2: right and my writing style like i intentionally go in trying to explain things in a very understandable way, Um, which is something I think a lot of occultists and witches don't. So I kept thinking about like, if I was, you know, my kid self reading that Silver Ravenwolf book, you know what I mean? Like, what would I understand? What would I not understand? Um, And there's definitely like going back to the idea of glamour, there's definitely a magic to marketing. And anyone who does not believe that Um, does not understand magic and does not understand marketing Um, because magic is marketing is completely magic 100% like I'm not a chaos uh, magician um, but chaos magic its approach in some ways has been very influential on me the idea of trying to figure out what are the mechanics And how can I reverse engineer this into something? So throughout my book, without knowing it, people are learning the foundations of high ceremonial magic. It's just stripped, especially from all its cultural and like all the bullshit down to like, what is the thing that's working? So like in my book, there is the middle pillar. There is the LBRP. You just don't fully understand that that's what you're doing um and it's going to make it stronger if you do move on to ceremonial magic and you do engage in those practices.
0: I remember reading there was a section in your book where you're talking about like drawing energy in from the stars or like celestial and then drawing energy from the earth and I was like wait a second.
1: <laughs>
0: and I was like oh
2: right yeah. so it's like it's like a baby witch version of these ceremonial practices. Because ceremonial magic, like its beginner level, is not a beginner level, you know? Um, most ceremonial magicians I know, they start with witchcraft before they get to ceremonial magic. Because ceremonial magic doesn't give a strong foundation. You know, you're like, right off the bat, you're like <laughs> vibrating the Hebrew names of God, you know? like.
0: Great. LBRP for a beginner, I think is, it's cool. And it may like, and actually that's one of the ways that I sort of got into like the occult, you know, I was totally not prepared for it. It didn't work for me very well because I didn't really understand what was going on, but it was cool enough aesthetically, right. It just felt super magic. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so, I feel like I'm doing some magic right now. So it was a a sort of stepping stone in that way. But I feel as though if I knew then what I knew right now, then of course LBRP would have been way more effective. And I may have even been scared. I may have even been like, wait a second, this is this is for real? This is more than just aesthetic. I don't know if I'm ready for this. So I feel like a lot of these young witches on TikTok, maybe on Instagram as well, they're doing this, but it's safe for them. I think in a way, subconsciously, they don't want to learn too much because they're afraid of going like really deep because I think it's fun and cool to do it more in an aesthetic sense, but to have it really affect your life, that's, right. that's intense. So right. the fact that your book is accessible and it's like the beginning chapters, it's like very like gentle, you and know?
1: inviting, yes
0: baby step by baby step so it's like yeah. I think it's only like when we get into the middle parts that it's sort of like whoa you know like a little bit more but by that point you've already done the baby stuff, so you feel ready for it right well so I can definitely see how over a year that would be such a great time frame to do this like anything less than a year I think especially for like a beginner which they make like, it well, so
2: I great. mean that's traditional right like a year in a day to study a level of magic
0: right so how many 365 days like like 93 exercises yeah that's like yeah so it's sort of like you you would spend about a week or so on each of the exercises give or take some exercises will take longer it's right
2: that's
0: really good that's a good time to do it and then to integrate it
2: right your and energy like a lot of the beginning is very um, because it is foundational, a lot of those things are gonna be repeated while as you move on, certain things aren't gonna be repeated. Um, so, you know, you're not always gonna to need to do an invisibility, you know, mental trick or, you know, things of that nature. You're not always going to need to um, invoke your lower self to like dialogue with your shadow and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, the pace, I haven't, I don't know, I, I, need to explore how it paces for people.
0: That would be super cool. Oh my god, yeah. I'm, like, hyping myself up right now all all about that. Are there any questions that you have um, before we go?
2: I don't think so, no. This was was great. I look forward to seeing how you chop this up and edit it. Um, I feel the conversation felt very naturally, made me feel very comfortable.
1: Oh,
0: you're so easy to talk to. So it was like it wasn't like pulling teeth out. Sometimes when I interview people, I'm just like racking my mind. Like, fortunately, I've been on so many like Tinder and Craigslist dates, so I know how to talk to just strangers. I have no chemistry with. So (laughs) it's like, why did I do all of that in my 20s? Oh, it was training for this. It all makes sense now.
2: Well, so, yeah, like, I mean, and I think that's part of, like, the whole true will thing, like, your path. Like, I think that, like, there's certain things that we do that we don't recognize as building a skill. So, like, when I was younger, like, in high school and a little bit out of high school, what I did, and it was unpaid, but I ran street teams for bands in Hollywood. So, a lot of that taught me how to promote and how to market and how to build hype and how to reach a certain demographic and make things look cool and like then i put that away for a very long time um and that's one of the skill assets that i feel has helped me um with the work that i feel is my work i'm supposed to be doing on this planet um same with uh uh, serving so i worked at bubba gump shrimp company for for many years and they're considered the disneyland of restaurants because um it's hardcore like it's fucking hardcore to work there um but it taught me because I don't, I am shy, I am an introvert. It taught me to totally get into the character of being like, hey, let's talk, you know, <laughs> let's, let's be in front of people and have a camera on and stuff like that. So it's just really interesting how these little things that we see as not being part of what we're doing now really were a part, there's like leading to something
0: exactly this is one of the reasons why i know when my nephew he like becomes a teenager he gets into like whatever scene he gets into so it'd be like no problem that he doesn't do his homework or whatever that's okay because somehow him following his passion being a scene kid emo kid goth kid whatever skater boy it's part of the big picture somehow because as long as he's following that passion it's gonna lead somewhere right You know, so that's why I have just so much faith in like what's gonna happen in his life because I've experienced it myself and I've seen it like in people like you and just lots of magical people who are kind of like leading their best lives. They just follow their passions and things just fell into place. Maybe not immediately, maybe it took 20 years, maybe it took some drug addiction, whatever, it doesn't matter. Eventually it falls into place.
2: Right, it is very like Joseph Campbell, like follow your bliss.
0: Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers, they're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches, so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.